Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. Taking a look at the broader cryptocurrency ecosystem this morning, 2022 has been undoubtedly painful for the crypto space. The crypto market fell from over $2 trillion at the beginning of the year to about $800 billion by year's end. Some notable drivers, the fallout of FTX and FTX.US, the collapse of TerraUSD and Luna and rising interest rates. We're also now seeing new flags emerge. The US Security and Exchange Commission in February, for example, pushing the Kraken Exchange to shut its crypto staking program down. And also this morning, we're reading about Silvergate, the prominent California-based bank stocks whose stocks have dropped by over 50% as clients like Coinable, Circle and Paxos flee the troubled bank to curb their exposure. Against the backdrop of all this, of course, uh, we're also seeing uh, the race towards a CBDC really ramp up. The Bank of England and HM Treasury judge that a digital pound will be needed for the future. And they've just published a four-month consultation paper following which they will proceed with the design phase of this and a decision on whether or not to go ahead with the digital pound will be taken at the end of this design phase. 2005-2006 is when that is expected. And the crypto market cap bearing witness to large-scale adoption has jumped by at least 250 billion US dollars. Here in Singapore, Fintonia Group, there is Singapore-based licensed financial firm focusing on digital assets and cryptocurrency. They've successfully upgraded to a capital market service license from the Monetary Authority of Singapore. The move apparently coming at a very good time as more traditional and financial institutions recognize the importance of partnering up with licensed industry players. To find out more about the crypto space currently, we've invited Adrian Chung, founder and chairman of Fintonia, to join us today. Adrian, good morning. Good morning, Michelle. Good to speak with you again. Help us understand what we can expect after the 2022 crypto downturn. It looks like the SEC is going after exchanges. It looks like the news around sort of the funnels from fiat to crypto is tightening. Uh, What do you see as key themes? I think there are three things that we see after uh, 2022. Uh, The first one for market participants is this increased wariness or awareness of counterparty risk. And there's a lot of, I guess, questions around trust and who can you uh, deal with, who is, you know, after FTX has collapsed, who are the p- people that you can, uh, you can work with. So that's one, that's one uh, uh, key trend. I think the second trend that we see is that the emergence of properly licensed entities are uh, becoming increasingly important. And obviously being licensed is also a signal of trust. And the third thing that we see after last year is that regulators are really stepping in uh, in a much greater way, in particular to protect the retail consumer. So these are the three things we see after last year in 2022. Adrian, earlier this month, the Bank of England officially launched its new digital pound CBDC project, you know, and that sparked a lot of hopes over in the UK of this new form of digital money. Broadly speaking, with the BOE entering this space, which we see a lot of developed nations uh, already in, what do you think this means for the broader ecosystem? So, I mean, firstly, I think that this shows that our current financial 
services system, our, fun, our current finance system, can be made significantly more efficient. I mean, I think that's the first thing. The BOE coming in with the CBDC is highlighting this inefficiency. I mean, secondly, it's highlighting the potential for technology, for blockchain, for DLT, to actually be the driver of this efficiency. And that's been highlighted by the crypto industry. Uh, typical bank cost-to-income ratio is roughly, say, 60-plus percent. And you look at a smart contract-based DeFi protocol, maybe the cost-to-income ratio is 10%. But somewhere in between the 60 and the 10, there's obviously a middle ground highlighting the current possibilities for things to be made more efficient. And the third thing is that we definitely see advantages from a wholesale payments perspective, which is bank-to-bank or inter-country opportunities. The real challenge will be around the retail front, about how would retail adoption and privacy be maintained. Help us understand uh, Fintonia and, you know, what it does in the realm of Bitcoin just before we talk about, you know, Bitcoin's use case, Adrian. Sure. So I guess the, uh, the thesis behind Bitcoin is that it is a digital form of gold. It's scarce, but in particular, uh, it's limited to 21 million only, and it cannot be manipulated in terms of the code is not easily changed for that 21 million, and it cannot be controlled. So therefore, as a digital gold, people see this as a a way of storing value, right? In the old days, we keep gold bars under the bed. Now you can keep Bitcoin in, uh, I guess, in your USB drive. Uh, But not everyone wants to keep it in USB drive. So for those who want a safe, secure, and licensed financial product, that's what we do at Pintonia. We have a Bitcoin tracker fund, which tracks the performance of Bitcoin, gives professional investors, accredited investors, a safe, secure way to get exposure to Bitcoin. And that's one of our digital asset products. So an open-ended fund and meant for accredited investors. That's correct. Okay, got it. And now help us understand, given your, your, your role in this space, how you see the use case for Bitcoin. Has it evolved at all? Yes, originally, what's interesting is originally it was Bitcoin is, is and it still can be, a peer-to-peer uh, transfer system. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's evolved to a, a store of value, as I mentioned, like a digital form of gold. But as we see the technology continue to improve, there is, I guess, uh, a return to the potential for Bitcoin to still be used in transactions with some uh, new technology systems, such as the Bitcoin Lightning Network. So where we are now, I think, is well accepted that Bitcoin is a store of value, and then some of the uh, technology may actually allow it to be a base for transactions and other use cases. In terms of you know what's needed for the ecosystem to grow, are more licenses with trusted partners in major financial jurisdictions going to be crucial for the crypto asset space to grow? Yes, I mean, I guess, you know, money, digital assets, crypto are things that you cannot touch um, and cannot see. So that's why trust is needed in an environment when the assets can't be, can't be actually physically touched. And so licenses are an important signal of trust. And for three reasons. One, if, if you have a license, that means certain standards are met. So, for example, segregation of assets, not mixing customer assets or client assets with the company's own. So standards are met. Number two, systems are in place to get a license, maintain a license. You have to be able to segregate duties, have certain technology. And, and, and thirdly, there are also 
checks in place. They have to be licensed. You need to have certain external audits, internal audits, etc. So this system to get a license is a signal to other people that these things are in place, and so you can trust these counterparties or these uh, these entities more. Okay, what what we're seeing with Silvergate, and I'll just ask for your general views with Silvergate because it's a hot topic and all the cryptocurrency WhatsApp groups are pretty much exploding today with news of what's happening. You know, some have likened this to sort of the traditional bank run as as clients associated with Silvergate try to cut their exposure to minimize contagion effects. When you look at what's happening with Silvergate, does it worry you as a player in the field? Look, I think, I mean, it is a bank run from that's what it looks like. I, I mean, it, it it is a concern, for sure, that, that any financial institution uh, has this kind of issue. But ultimately, um, as part of the ecosystem, we don't imagine that the whole ecosystem will be uh, rising or failing on, hmm. on, uh, on the future of, of Silvergate. Do, do you rely on infrastructure bridges? You know, such, do you think that the entire ecosystem does rely on infrastructure bridges like Silvergate's platform in order to facilitate um, fiat to crypto transactions? Absolutely, but it's not, but it's not just Silvergate. So I think there's still right. many um, uh, licensed institutions around the world that still act as a bridge between the digital asset realm and the traditional finance realm. So uh, Silvergate is one, an important one, but not the only one. Okay. Well, you know, when there are lots of warnings uh, about the crypto space like we're seeing now, some observers actually say it's time to buy in. And they argue that established players may be trying to talk down crypto values before buying in themselves. What do you think? Is there any validity to this argument? Look, I mean, I think everybody's risk appetite and investment profile is different. If uh, I don't know if you can actually talk down a, a one trillion dollar market, uh, but definitely <laughs> there are people who think this is a good buying opportunity and who have the risk appetite and the holding power and the ability to stomach volatility. And mm-hmm. if that's the case, then um, you know, obviously Bitcoin at twenty three thousand or whatever it is now. Uh, you know, it's better to buy at that price than it would be at 68000 But, you know, investor psychology, right. investor risk appetite, investors' portfolios are all different. So perhaps mm-hmm. uh, some people will not be able to uh, stomach the volatility. So Fintonia has recently upgraded to a capital markets license. It's, it's received its capital markets license from the Monetary Authority of Singapore, which makes you a licensed fund manager in the digital asset space. Tell us about the position that you hold in this ecosystem. What sets you apart from other players in the industry here? I guess as a, as a licensed player versus, uh, I guess, an unlicensed, one is, is, again, it's just a signal, I guess, to the world broadly that one, that Fintonia has experience and capability to get, to get a license and maintain a license, you need to meet certain standards of experience, capability, etc. So that's that's one thing that it, that it signals. I think the second thing that it signals is that there are investor protection mechanisms inbuilt as a license entity, from asset segregation, making sure that there's a you know no commingling, no commingling of funds between Fintonia funds and and client funds, um, mm-hmm. so that it's uh, we call it bankruptcy remote. That investors' mm-hmm. money is investors' money. Uh, and that there are proper du- segregation of duties and controls. So inbuilt, there's investor protection. And then thirdly, I think the other thing that uh, allows us as a licensed player is 
clarity and transparency, whether the, we whether whether that's with regards to uh, reporting to investors, with being able to work with institutional grade service providers, whether that's uh, being very very transparent about what we do for tax purposes, all you know this experience, investor protection, and transparency. I think are three things that come along with being a license holder. And on the back of that news, uh, what's next for Fintonia in terms of future growth and expansion? Well, three things. I think we, we're always keen to uh, continually improve our, our people and our capabilities. So I think this year is a great year for us to um, selectively grow and take on some great people. So we've hired some more people uh, this year. Uh, number two would be increased uh, new products and new services. The reality mm. is, I guess, the alpha, we call it in finance, uh, the alpha and the returns are still in the digital assets industry. So we want to create new products and services to allow investors to access these, access, uh, these returns in a safe and licensed environment. And then finally, uh, geographic expansion. We have our provisional license in, in Dubai issued by the Virtual Assets Regulatory Authority there. So we'll, we'll be keen to expand in the UAE and the broader GCC and you know, hopefully be one of the Singaporean firms uh, trying to take on the world. Fantastic. Well, we hope you'll share those new products with us the moment they're available. Adrian, thank you so much for being here with us this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Adrian Cheng, founder and chairman of Fintonia, joining us live on Money FM 89.3. This is Money and Me. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.